Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Heimerdinger, Ziggs, Tristana, Corky, those are all names familiar to League of Legends players. Well, board gamers, you'll soon know these characters too. On this episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names, Tony and Marty interview Riot Games about their premier board game, Mechs vs. Minions. Welcome to Summoner's Rift. Hello and welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. I'm Tony. And this is Marty. And this is episode number 102, Iron Man. And Marty, on the show today, we have some very, very special guests with us. From the makers of the largest video game in the world, League of Legends, we have two special guests from Riot Games. And Tony, that may sound a little odd coming from a podcast that focuses on board games. Yeah, it is. But it's not odd that we have with us a video game that has gone into the board game genre. We have other ones that have an example of it. Well, maybe not a board. Well, they do have a board game. Let's take, for instance, Blizzard with World of Warcraft. That was a popular MMORPG, and they came out with a collectible card game as well as a board game. It's not uncommon for a video game to transcend into the board game world. No, it's not. But I think what's unique about this is how these guys have are going to take the market by storm with the game that they've produced and how they're going to distribute this game. It's, it's just amazing. And the news is just now coming out. They're, they're doing things differently from a lot of other people. And for a company that's doing this for the very first time, it's very impressive. Yes, it is. And one of the things that you will hear about in this interview is that when you place your order for this game, it's not something that's going to take months and months and months that they're going to develop the capital to develop this game. No, this game is ready to go. So when you hear them announce the date that you can order this game, it's coming to you that day. So are you ready to take a listen? I can't wait. We got Chris and Rick sitting in the green room. Let's bring them in and talk to Riot Games about the new board game, Mechs vs. Minions. We are so excited to have a couple very special guests tonight. Coming from Riot Games, we have Chris Cantrell, who is the producer and the product owner of Mechs vs. Minions. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And in addition, we have Rick Ernst, who is the lead designer. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. You guys may not believe this, but there are some people out there, board gamers who may not get into video games, who do not know what Riot Games is all about. So can you tell us a little bit about Riot Games and what they do? Yeah, sure. We're uh, we're a video game company. And to be honest, up till now, we've we've really only made one video game. So video uh, game singular. Yeah, <laughs> we're not a video games company yet, just a video game company. But we make a game called League of Legends, which is multiplayer, you know, team versus team kind of Trying to wreck the other team's base before they wreck yours. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mainly asked that question for my co-host, Tony, mm-hmm. because he didn't know what League of Legends was. And that was a shame, Tony. You should, you call yourself a gamer. You used to play a lot of video games. How could you be this far out of the loop? I, I'm sorry, Chris. I'm sorry, Rick. But, you know, I've gotten to the age now where I, I don't play video games anymore. My reflexes are dull. It, for me to try to do this would be ridiculous. But so, so, so sell me on this. What is a... A, the, this League of Legends thing. Well, honestly, I'm I'm probably a terrible salesman. Like it, it's not for everyone. It's a game where you get um you get paired up on on a team. Usually, it's five people versus five people. Everyone kind of splits off and has like different roles, and they'll go to different areas of the map. And your team is trying to push and destroy the enemy base 
before they can push and destroy your enemy base. And it's it's really kind of simple in that sense, but it was one of the first Western games that kind of came out that uh, that was like free to play, but not in a pre- free to play. I think because of mobile games has kind of a very toxic sense in that like you can buy power, and so when you're buying like hey unlock this chest and you get all this, you know uh, we don't sell power, so there are people who could go on to pro- play professionally and they've never spent a penny on our game. And usually the way you you would monetize on on League is you buy skins or you kind of like buy different kind of customizations uh, that are cosmetic that would make your character look different. But other than that, it's just one game. And I, I think we've we've really doubled down on it and we've been really fortunate. I, I think initially it was made for kind of a really small niche audience for this mod for a, a Warcraft 3 game. And that was our target audience. I think the secret sauce for me, for Riot, is that we really try very hard. It's, it's going to sound like a, a hokey kind of something like corporate speak, but we really try hard to like listen to our players and, and pivot and strive to be, you know, a very player focused company. And we, sometimes we miss the ball. Sometimes we're not as good at that as, as others, but we, the effort is always there. Yeah. One of the things that impressed me since I've come to Riot is really the, the fact that, that Riot is, is happy to, to make a game for a specific group of people and, you know, they don't try to be everything to everyone. And so, you know, that's also informed a lot of Mechs versus Minions and what they've let us do with it. Yeah, yeah. Marty, so Warcraft 3, when did we play that one? Warcraft, <laughs> what's it, when did Warcraft 3 come out? Was that in the 90s? No. No, it was probably. When did Warcraft 3, early, early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, probably early 2000s. Yeah, early 2000s. Okay, so here's the thing. All right, you guys <laughs> need to, you guys need to toot your horn. <laughs> Let's talk about how big League of Legends is. Right now, if I'm right, it's the most played video game currently right and it has been for years yeah we're really fortunate to have like just very great player base and okay let's have size how big how many <laughs> millions are playing I, I think on a monthly average we're, we're looking at around 100 million people a hundred million people for a free-to-play game so people might think well how are they making money how about telling me oh how much money did y'all make last year i i, I honestly don't know <laughs> like yeah. I, I really don't know it was over a billion dollars was it not no, I, I really don't know. <laughs> that's that's the thing is we don't like I, I would tell you if I did, but we don't that's that's the neat thing for before we worked on on Mexverse Minions, I was on like the release team and that involved that, that team would make new patches and kind of update the game constantly. And so there's a lot of um a lot of weight on that team where, you know, if the service goes down, then we're like, Oh no, and, and players can't play and it's terrible. So there'd be times where we'd be making like multi million dollar decisions. Like I, I think on an almost daily basis. Wow! And never did I hear money come up. It was always like, "Well, what's best for the player?" And almost like like a mantra. And like, okay, well, this. And and it sounds hokey. Like I, I hate talking about it because I think it it sounds hokey. But um, <laughs> that, that's really just the truth. Is like we really we believe that if we take care of um, our players, um, that the money part will kind of take care of itself. We're into kind of providing like these really memorable experiences with your friends and and we're gamers like riot almost unanimously only hires gamers so like we we play the games that we that we make and that that we're working on and we played next first minions for for a very long time <laughs> so that i mean i i think it's part of it is just in our dna like we we like the games that we're, we're working on okay okay fine i'll toot your horn for you the 2015 estimate okay. revenue tony get this 1.6 billion dollars 
for one video game that's free to play. Well, you got to admit, that's pretty stout. I mean, if they beat Candy Crush, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a different it's different types of audiences, right? Candy Crush is like my wife plays Candy Crush. Like it's that's for everyone. This is we try and make a game for core gamers. We've been very fortunate. I wish you guys could see this. Chris is blushing very severely. Right now. <laughs> I think I think one of the worst things that you can do as as a company, but also just like as a person, is to kind of take too much pride in what you're doing because I think that limits your growth. I, I think that if you know if we were on top or something like that, we're always like thumping our chest, like yeah, we're Riot Games, we make League of Legends or anything like that. It, it'd be first off, I I can't think of any writer doing that. Uh, like they they wouldn't last here long. But also they would just stop growing. I, I think we constantly have to be self, like we have to be improving. Um, if you look at like where League was when we launched, we just constantly iterated and we took player feedback and we iterated again and we hired brilliant designers and then we iterated again and we just kind of kept, we were never satisfied with, with where the game was landing and we're constantly trying to improve it and make it more dynamic and, and keep it interesting. Um, and it's because we're never really satisfied with our work. And I think just personally, um, just the mentality of like taking too much pride, it, it, it's, it's, it's problematic. It, it prohibits that growth. So you'll, you'll find that in a, in a lot of the DNA of, of, of people at Riot. I think there's a lot of humility and there's a lot of, um, just an earnest desire to keep growing and anything that kind of keeps you from growing and doing better work tomorrow than you're doing today isn't isn't worth it like i don't yeah i don't i don't really i don't take a lot of pride in like oh yeah we we did all this it's like what can i do tomorrow that's even better that's that's where my focus is on and the answer was board games <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so here's the thing so here's this very successful company who has this very successful video game that said you know what we're going to make a board game. Now, before we get into the details of why you made that decision, let's hear about this board game. What have you guys brought us? Mechs vs. Minions is a uh, cooperative board game uh, for two to four players. And it's uh, it features four characters. In League of Legends, they're called Yordles, which are kind of small, little like gnome hobbit sort of characters. They're, they're kind of more whimsical. I'm the more whimsical end of our our spectrum of characters uh and so they have signed up to learn how to build robots mechanical lab suits under the tutelage of uh of another character another champion from from league of legends named rumble and and he's famous for having this this big uh mech that he's built out of junkyard scrap so he's opened up a, a school for for his yordle friends and he's teaching them how to do that and then you know things things go wrong Disaster happens. Comedy ensues. Minions start pouring out of everywhere. Things explode, and then our our four newly minted mech pilots need to jump into action, and uh, and and save the world, stem the tide of minions, and uh, and save the day. And so that takes place over the course of of ten uh, ten missions, ten scenarios, each one a little bit different. And uh, the characters grow as pilots, and they they gain more capabilities uh, until the 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 ultimate climax. And it's a since it's a co op game, everybody wins or loses together. But it's also a pretty tough game, and uh, and so you know it should be should be challenging. Just because you're all in it together doesn't make it a walk in the park. Yeah, I, I'd say that for for board game aficionados, probably the, the the elevator pitch would be Robo Rally meets Descent or Imperial Assault. Right, has some minor 
legacy elements, I, I suppose, but I don't even like calling them legacy elements. Well, they're not like, you're not going to be, you're not going to be burning cards yeah. or, you know, writing on the board, but right. there are, there are elements of the game that you'll unlock that won't be available to you right at the beginning. And there's a degree of mystery. All the, all the scenarios are hidden inside of envelopes. And then we've got a couple of surprises yeah. in the box there that, uh, well, assuming you follow the instructions, you won't see until a little bit later in the campaign. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess I guess what gets to me about calling it uh, a legacy game is, I think Rob Davio, in, from for my money as just a, as a player, I, I think uh, the legacy mechanic was the most exciting thing that's been done to board games. Uh, I don't know in the past five ten years. Honestly, it's just it's so well. It's mm. Yeah, that's that was obvious from your giddiness at, at Gen Con when you, <laughs> right, met him. When you were like, <laughs> yeah. I, I got his autograph, <laughs> yeah. and you were all like fanning yeah. yourself. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's true. But but he worked so hard on on creating like legacy games that I, I feel like it's almost like we're like we're writing his coattails, and and honestly, he's he's earned that, and that's like his own. It was inspired. There, there's definitely like a an unlocking ceremony that happens as you keep playing it, but it's it's not a. Uh, I, I wouldn't call it a legacy game. You don't you don't draw on anything. You no, don't. but it's it's inspired by some of the some of that that progression. Well, well, that was an excellent elevator pitch, gentlemen. I don't know how many s- floors we went up, but that was a, <laughs> that was pretty intense. But I'm going to squirrel for a second, Marty. It's only I can. Oh Lord, here we go. <laughs> Y'all met Rob, and right. you know, you know Rob is an aficionado with cooking. Okay. And he, you know, he's been on our show before and he's talked about how he enjoys uh, eating meat, his steak and all. What's some of your favorite meals? Oh my gosh, Tony. Here we are. We have these guests on to talk about this awesome game. And you're already asking about food. They were dumbstruck by by Rob. I thought they, they'd like to bond a little bit with him. Fish tacos, man. I love fish tacos. I like whatever my wife cooks. I'm I'm pretty easy. <laughs> that's a smart man there marty oh baby that looks good that's good on the plate <laughs> okay are you done with your little squirrel moment there tony uh, i'm done but see now they can they feel closer to to what we who we all agree is rob rob you know put the game on edge <laughs> with the legacy you know what i'm saying well, well, well we could have talked about baseball too he likes baseball you want to throw on a baseball question real quick <laughs> well i do i will point out some have you guys after you are successful with this have you thought about maybe we should put together some board game designer trading cards <laughs> <laughs> and you could sign them and we could go around the conventions and sign them that'd be so cool kind of like you know in hogwarts <laughs> okay i must admit right. that's not bad that's not bad no. upper deck if you're listening you already make trading cards make a board game designer trading card there's a market back to mechs versus minions yeah. here's my first question okay so again we have you guys on you're making this incredible video game and you said we're going to make a board game why <laughs> yeah that's that's a very fair question a lot of people here ask that question yeah. repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh honestly like we're gamers like we we play all different types of games we don't just play league like i'm, I'm playing a lot of overwatch I, I mean like there are lots of games that we play we play a lot of board games right but we definitely have a very healthy board game community I, I i think that we've just noticed internally that there's a lot of um crossover between gamers and uh like video game players and then once they get exposed to modern board game kind of becoming uh, addicted to the hobby uh I, I know that that that's happened for me and and i know that's like we have like bi-weekly board game nights here at Riot. And I think we have like on average, maybe around 50 people that show up and just get in a big room and do potluck and then just play tons of board games and learn new games. And there are people playing all the time. 
And we saw that and we recognized it. And in part, because it's what we were passionate about and we kind of, we found an opportunity and we were like, Hey, this is something that, you know, we are a game company and, and we think core gamers will like it. Cause honestly, I, and I think if you look at the, the growth of the industry right now over the past, you know, five, 10 years, I think something came out today where 56% uh, growth between 2014 and 2015 and, and the hobby board game market, like it's, it's booming and it's because people are, are recognizing kind of, I I'm, I'm feel like I'm preaching to the choir though right now, but like it, it's definitely booming. And, and I guess we saw an opportunity to introduce this incredible hobby to our, our, uh, our player base and hopefully make a game that, that the board game community kind of was, was proud of as well. Um, that, that, that was my hope. And then like, if, if we could get both of those that like board gamers weren't like embarrassed by us, which I, I was, I'm, I'm That's still pretty terrified. low bar. No, yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I want to make sure that doesn't happen. And then, and then introduce the game to our players and maybe convert some of them uh, into this amazing, you know, hobby that, that, that we take part in. Yeah, it was interesting. It wasn't as much trying to get, you know, board gamers to come play League, but kind of the other way around. Chris and I work, uh, are lucky enough to work in a, in a part of Riot that is focused on kind of exploring um, the League of Legends characters and worlds in, in other forms. So our group, you know, will do uh, online comics and, uh, and music things like that. And so this board game kind of makes sense within that. It's, it's more of a, of it's a different way to kind of play around with this world and these characters and introduce them to new, new people that might not be into, into MOBAs like, uh, like you guys. Yeah. What was the birth of this idea and how has it changed over time? Was it always going to be Rumble in his um, teaching his students and releasing the hounds? No, no, it, um, actually we, we hired a designer about three years ago, uh, named Stone LeBrandy, who's a very, very accomplished video game designer. And, um, just because he loves games, like the, the act of making games, he loves that so much that every year for his family, he would just make a new board game and he'd just kind of spend all this time kind of creating a new game and his family would play it at Christmas. And then he'd make another one and he's made like 20 games and then like, he hasn't published any of them because he has a full-time job. And as I came to realize, publishing a board game, producing a board game is, is not not always uh, the, the easiest thing in the world. He had all these ideas and then we brought him on and we got, we got to play one. And we bought that, that kind of that, that, kernel, that kernel of an idea from, from, uh, from Stone. And it was a, it's called Weapons of Zombie Defense. It was a, a zombie game and it wasn't cooperative and it only had one map. But it used like programming movements, uh, a la Robo Rally, just to kind of walk around and kill stuff. And we thought that that idea was a lot of fun. As we kind of kept exploring it, there there were things that didn't like. It didn't have as much longevity, maybe as as, as we were looking for. Right. Well, he designed games to like the whole purpose was here's a game that my family's going to play over the course of a holiday, and and that's it. You know, didn't expect it to go any further. So that's where that exploration came in, and and then we had a kernel of a game, and it was a programming movement based game. And there's, there are robots in our, in our, in our game. There's like Blitzcrank or Oriana or like other types of characters. But if you're programming those robots, it would feel, it would feel very odd if they're like running into walls. Um, but then we had this other character where Rumble, Rumble, and, and he had made a mech and it didn't quite make sense that Rumble would, cause I, I think a core part of, of the experience of Mechs vs. Minions is you'll, you'll get damaged and you're going to start running off in odd directions that you don't really want to be doing. 
And then it's a, but you can kind of make it work. Sometimes it even helps you, but there's a lot of like making do that, that happens in, in the, in the course of a game. You know, if you're a really hyper-intelligent robot and you're running into a wall, that doesn't really feel right. But if you kind of create like this, this, you know, slapdash mech and it's just kind of thrown together with junkyard pieces and then you're learning how to pilot it, but you run into uh, a wall due to a malfunction or you're like off shooting in the wrong direction. It's not as much frustrating as it is funny. And I think that whimsical kind of tone really landed on what we were looking for. I mean, so you're known for this very popular MOBA mm -hmm. video game, but you didn't do a MOBA style board game. Did you intentionally stay away from that? Yeah, we've already got a MOBA. It's like, we've got League for that. Um, a, a MOBA board game, I don't know, it didn't make as much sense. And we felt like the board games were an opportunity for people to interact with the characters in a different way. If like, we were, we were pretty confident that if League of Legends players wanted to play a MOBA, we got that covered. Yeah, th I think that's fair. I, I, and there are just so many great designs out there. We don't have to, th there are so many great games, you know, just period. And you, you don't have to be limited to just a MOBA. And I, I don't, I don't feel like we're limited to that at Riot. We're really proud of League and, and we love MOBAs. That That's still true, but that doesn't mean it's the only type of game that we want to play. And honestly, if, if it didn't make sense for the, the board game, we weren't going to shoehorn it in it had to kind of really be inspired in something we'd be proud of i don't know do you guys think that was the wrong idea no no it was just it was just uh, interesting you know it's like i didn't know whether the idea was like okay we got this awesome video game let's try to recreate that in a board game style format but then you did say earlier hey one of your things we was trying to do was trying to bring uh your video game players into the board game world and they probably didn't want to have the exact same experience it's like well if i'm playing a moba i'd rather just play league of legends than do it on a board and with the idea of trying to bring um, players into board games, you know, one of the things that I struggle with when I'm trying to introduce games to to new players is a lot of times they're intimidated if it's a it's a if it's a competitive game. Well, heck, even sometimes I'm you know intimidated if it's a competitive game and I haven't played before, and the, the people I'm playing with have. I, I kind of know I'm just going to end up losing, and that's not as that's not as exciting. I know there's kind of a curve there before I can really compete. But when you've got a, a cooperative game, then if you've got one or more players that are more experienced than the others, there's you get more of a dynamic where the experienced players help out the the new players and they they'll kind of guide them along. And so it's more of a, a teamwork thing. It's less intimidating. And I think that's a more that's a better experience for bringing people into into board games, whereas a hyper-competitive MOBA, somebody's just going to end up getting crushed and not feeling good about it. I like competitive games. Yeah, we went with cooperative here in part because, like in League, we have the ability to do matchmaking. So, you know, at any point, there are probably other people around your skill level who are playing. You join up to play a game, and you're going to be paired against people at your skill level. But in, when you sit down at a table of board games, that's not always the case. You know, there, there are people here who are incredibly good at, like, economic games or, or, you know, area And then there's control. you. Yeah, and then there's me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, derp, derp. yeah. But uh, we, we, and every time you sit down to play with them, you're like, oh, well, this guy's going to win. That's, that's the nature of that. But if it's a cooperative game, it's less intimidating and that, that barrier of entry kind of goes away a bit and you can kind of make sure that the game is somewhat balanced consistently. But I also think by choosing cooperative, and I'm sure some people in our guild would disagree with me, you also bring in that social interaction, not to the level of a party game, 
but more so than a Euro game because you've got to talk, you've got to communicate. And by bringing these people who have been staring at screens, playing your MOBA or the video game, here they are face-to-face with people. They've got to converse. And with your game here, I think you achieved that with the co-op. Is is that what you were looking for? Yeah, absolutely. For, I mean, Chris and I both, as Chris said, you know, competitive games are a lot of fun, but we really enjoy kind of the table talk and, and sometimes trash talk and joking. And so, you know, we wanted a game that really encouraged that. And, uh, you know, for me, every game is an opportunity for role playing. I, I always end up, you know, jumping out of my chair and acting out whatever the heck crazy stuff we're doing and so (laughs) and so you know creating a game that that inspires that and and really encourages that i think was was kind of key to what we were both looking for so this game uh you you brought in somebody got their idea and everything just out of curiosity how long you've been working on the game and did you bring in others to work specifically on this board game yes we did (laughs) (laughs) i have been working on the game for almost three years so it's been it's been a journey for me i'm i'm I am as excited as I am nervous to kind of get this out. I guess about halfway through that, about a year and a half ago, I thought I was done. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a big board game guy and I, I have, I have a ton of board games, but a, a lot of, like I, I reached out to kind of the people that I, I would tend to listen to there, you know, there are a number of people, but I, I reached out to, to kind of Tom Vassell and, and Quentin Smith from Dice Tower and Shut Up and Sit Down respectively. I reached out to them about a year and a half ago and I was like, hey, we've been working on something and we don't know if it's good. Would you mind just kind of taking a look at it and then just giving us some feedback on, on ways that we can make it better. And uh, I remember Tom came out and it was really nice. It was kind of quiet, the, you know, the first half of the first game. And then it was a very different game then because uh, it, it only had like one map. We had had him out and uh, and he played it and he kind of gave us a lot of like cleanup feedback, a lot of ways that we could just streamline and make the game more elegant, more efficient he was like, I, I think I think you got a great game, guys. Good luck. I think you should ship this. And so we were like kind of cracking open the champagne. We're like, all right, we're in good shape. Hopefully, hopefully we're good. And then Quinn's. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. We we had him out. And then, you know, he's he's you know, in that in that very polite British way, he he was like, Well, um, I liked it. Um <laughs> and I'm here for the next two days, so I I'd be happy to keep playing it because I'm gonna be here. But I'll be honest, if I weren't here, I probably wouldn't play it again. And we were like, oh, well, that's, that's, not, that's not really what we were hoping for. And he's like, well, <laughs> let, let, me, let me kind of explain. Like, I, I don't really see like the the course or, or, the, or the progression. I don't, I don't know why I would play it again. And it really made sense to us. It kind of landed like really well in that, in that moment. And, and, uh, and he suggested something more like Descent or Imperial Assault. And going with modular boards and kind of like a campaign, different ways to approach the game, different kind of challenges to face for you and your team. And the more he kind of kept talking about it, the more the team was like, he's right. Personally, I just would have said, Quinn's just shut up and sit down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would have been a perfect opportunity. Yeah, you missed that one. missed that moment. Opportunity blown. (laughs) I'm sorry. Keep on going. (laughs) No, no. I mean, like he, he, uh, uh, so he gave us that feedback and everyone's getting really excited. And then I'm just kind of like, oh man, that's not designing one game. That's like designing 10 games that's a that's a lot more work i'm gonna need a bigger boat (laughs) and it it was odd because i I was pretty frustrated because uh someone in in our recruiting area kind of scheduled an interview and i only had quins there for like a day or two so i was like oh this is not the right time but i i I got 
sequestered away for an hour and I met Rick. Right. That was me. I was I came in, wasn't even planning to talk about a board game, was just talking about talking to Riot in general. And so Chris walks in and he's got a dour look on his face. <laughs> and he ver- he made it very clear that he would rather be someplace else. I didn't know any of the story of why or what was going on. Yeah. But we had a we had a discussion and, and he, you know, told me he was working on a board game and and uh, you know, I've got I've got some some board game experience. And so we ended up talking about that. But when that interview was over and I walked out, I was sure that's like, well, <laughs> I'm never gonna hear from Riot again. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, but uh, Rick has just been uh, a godsend. Like he he came in. Um, it, you guys have played that. Like he created the damage deck and all the schematics, and he designed all the um, all the different scenarios. I mean, with the help of, of the team, but he he really kind of led that charge and just did a did an amazing job. So really fortunate to have brought out both both Quentin and Tom. You know like night and day difference all of a sudden the game was was fun as soon as we brought rick on it was like that it was as soon as i i started before mm-hmm. we made any changes yeah that's it exactly just, that's how that was happened. suddenly yeah. magically better yeah marty did you lose the email from them to us to come out <laughs> yeah I, did. I guess i did because i would have taken a flight out to california wouldn't you well it depends you know it depends on the time of season we could have been a nice southern gentleman and told them the game wasn't any good too <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> So I got a question for you, Rick. So you're you're brought into this. You're having something that's been worked on and worked on, and now it's been thrown in your lap here. How do you keep project creep from coming in, you know, scope creep, and how did you pull it back in? Was there a fluctuation you were dealing with? It's an interesting puzzle because when when I came on, we had the core mechanics. uh, We had the basic kind of structure, what, what the story was about. They had only just started playing around with the idea of a modular board and scenarios. We had no scenarios or anything. We kind of had to inflate the game, you know, so we had to 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 creep. You know, we knew we needed scenarios. If we needed scenarios, we needed progression. If we're going to have progression, we should really be differentiating these these mechs somewhat. And so we had a list of, of systems that had to be created. And so early on, it was just very blue sky and we, we threw a lot of ideas out and we tried a lot of things very quickly, which is kind of the, the joy of, of board game development that maybe uh, is a little bit easier than, than video games is, you know, when, in a board game, you want to try something new, you just write it on the back of some index cards and go. And so, you know, we tried a lot of different things and we bloated the game out with a lot of different mechanics and we just, we were vicious and this is where i think chris is you know chris and i worked pretty well together um where i'd bloat things up and he'd just hack them to pieces and uh you know for the better and so we really tried to to make sure that we were savage about only keeping what was core to the to the game um you know we talked about you know pvp modes and we talked about you know other characters and things like that but just you know we tried to we tried to keep what the the core pillars of this game were and, and really focus on it and try to figure out what you know what the game is about and what the game is about is this fun power fantasy about starting off with these ridiculous you know half baked robots and you know by the end of the game we wanted you to feel like you know a really powerful you know butt kicking machine um and along the way you know we wanted all sorts of ridiculous shenanigans with you know we didn't want people getting knocked out um, and we didn't want you to, you know, feel like you were being set back. So that's where the damage deck came in, where uh, it doesn't actually make you less powerful; it just makes you less predictable. 
And so that added a, a lot of fun chaos, you know, particularly as the game went on and you got to the, towards the end of the scenario where every move counted, um, but you weren't always in control. And so just kind of focusing on that moment uh, and that, that experience and, and just being really harsh with our cuts and everything else. Let's move from how this game was being made to one of the other aspects that's immediately going to catch people's eye, and that's the production of this game. <laughs> so I came to learn about this game basically through Jamie from uh, The Secret Cabal. We were at Gen Con, mm -hmm. and Jamie said, look, I've been invited to go and, and check this game out. So uh, him and uh, Tony uh, were going to go up there and uh, look at it. And Rodney had been invited. Not this Tony. Yeah, the, the other Tony, the secret cabal Tony. And uh, so Rodney had been invited to, and he was not able to make it. Those guys leave, and we had some other things to do. And then we met up with Tony and Jamie later, and they were like, guys, you've got to go see this. They were just stunned. They said, you've got to go see this game. They grabbed almost grabbed Rodney by the shoulders and say, Rodney, go see this game. And so Rodney said, oh, okay. And so Chris, he started texting you. And said, okay, I, I want to see it. And then I think Rodney said, I think some other people like to see it too. And I was one of those people. <laughs> the uh, The timing didn't work out to where I could. I had some other commitments, but Rodney got to go. Rodney comes back and goes, Marty, you got to see this game. This is incredible. <laughs> this was out without any gameplay. It's just the production and what goes into this game. And now there are going to be videos out so that people can see it. It's obviously hard to see on a podcast. I know that Rodney... Uh, hopefully by now, the time this this show is out, or very soon, we'll be doing a video on Mechs versus Minions. So you need to go see the quality of these components. Everything is to the nines. The inserts. Oh my gosh, the work that you must have put in just the, the inserts in the game are phenomenal. When I got this game in the mail, my boys brought it in. They said, I don't know what's in here. It must be like bricks or something like that. Mm. And I opened up, and there's this huge box and we opened the cover off that box, and me and my boys, it's like Christmas. <laughs> we kept digging into it. It's like, well, here's some minis. Here's an insert. Let's take this out. Oh, look, here's another tray with a lot of cool minis and some metal parts. Let's take that out. Look, here's another tray with more minis and more stuff and this big giant thing over here. We were stunned. Our jaws just hit the floor. I have never had a box opening experience like that in my entire life. Uh. Chris, I contact you and I said, this is absolutely amazing. This is before I've even played the game. And then you went on to tell me that there's a reason why you, you wanted the people to have a great box opening experience. And I would love for you to tell that story. Sure. Um, it, it stems from when I was first starting on the project, I, I watched a, a talk by Rob Davio uh, where he, he was talking about they had done skin conductivity tests at MIT uh, as people play board games, and I'm kind of quoting his quoting of of, of the study, so I, I hope I get this right, but um, people were most excited to play a board game when they're opening the box. It was a very odd thing, but he was like, yeah, that's when you're most excited is when you're, it's like the the the, the feeling of unknown, the potential, and, and then people go to learn the rules, and that's where kind of fun goes to die. And that, that really landed for me. And I started thinking about like other, other, uh, like opening up like a, I don't know, like a Netgear router and how that that has a, an experience with it. But then you compare that to opening up like an iPhone. Like I know people who have who have iPhones and they keep the box. And, you know, for a board game, maybe it makes sense. But for, for a phone, it doesn't make any sense at all. But a lot of people will just kind of hold on to the box because of that 
that celebration, that moment of of kind of unboxing everything, and and everything's in its in its perfect spot, and it kind of creates a sense of of, of quality, at least for me, that carries over uh, long long after you've kind of discarded that box and you don't care about it anymore. But that that sense of of craftsmanship kind of sticks over, or uh, with the with the phone. And so I knew very early on that I wanted I wanted to really kind of celebrate that unboxing experience. And and we made some bets, and it, you know, at, at times it was kind of painful, kind of going that direction. Uh, we partnered with uh, a a company called Game Trays, uh, based out of St. Louis, uh, for the inserts. And I found them because uh, I was at Gen Con the previous year. I was kind of wandering around. I was like, these are incredible. And I, I looked at like like Broken Token. There there are a number of different groups that use use uh, different inserts and kind of create these aftermarket experiences. But I just really. I clicked with with uh, Noah, their CEO. And I thought he was just doing like really great work, and I, I think he was kind of like we don't have any credibility in the board game <laughs> industry. So I think it was just kind of like, uh, sure, I'll, I'll I'll talk to you about it. And I was like, well, do you ever do any of these in pre production instead of post? And he's like, uh, no, I've I've never done that. And I was like, oh, well, would you? <laughs> he was like, uh, <laughs> well. I, I I guess could could we talk about the game? And so we kind of talked about it, and we kind of kept discussing it. And the thing is, when you're doing it in post, all the pieces are kind of settled, and so you can just buy a box and you can build it specifically for those. But when you're working on it in pre-production, it there there are different challenges that erupt that uh, both Noah, myself, and and kind of our manufacturing partner Panda Games we we struggled with, and not due to uh, lack of capabilities on any of their parts, maybe maybe on my part, but not on any of their parts. It, it was just really hard because when you um, you take these pieces and they'll be off by millimeters. That's the thing. Game Trays works with such precision. It's like yeah. we do something like just increase the thickness of the cardstock and suddenly he's got to change all yeah. of the uh, the inserts for the decks. That's that, Yeah, that's exactly right. So we'd have to, he, he remade those trays over and over again for us. And then we were like, oh, could you do a lid? And he's like, uh, well, I could, but what do you think of this instead? And we were like just blown away or like, uh, we need we need a, a box for the boss back. And he's like, well, here's what I was thinking. What if it's busting out? And we we're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. <laughs> this is so we really we really lucked out by partnering with just much smarter people than than us who are just very, very, very capable. And we just knew kind of the the vision of what we were hoping, kind of that emotional resonance. So it's 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 very rewarding to me personally to hear that account with you and your family and I'm, I'm glad you liked that moment because there, there was effort that went into that. I'll be honest though, a, a lot of that, you know, I mean that unboxing experience, it's just as Chris said, but you know, I think part of our impetus for like going all out and, and trying to do like something we'd never seen before was Chris and I didn't know if we'd ever get a chance to do this again. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, this is true. We're, we're very appreciative of having this opportunity at Riot, but as you've pointed out, this isn't really the bread and butter of the company. And so, you know, this was very much a love letter to games. And so if we only got one shot, we we're going to go big. We, we wanted a collector's edition feel at a regular edition price. Uh, it was something that we kind of was like one of the mantras that we had. And for me, I want the game to kind of speak for itself. And I, I, I hope it does that. Like, we don't need to, like, be real flashy or in your face, like, hey, pick us up or, hey, please buy us. Like, if, if you want to buy it, then maybe this is a game for you, then great. Study up and we've done our part, then this is something that you'll that hopefully you'll like. But we don't want to, like, we weren't trying to get real salesy with it or anything like that. It was very simple, very understated. Um, we had art direction by a guy named uh, Danny Beck, who did all the illustrations and all the card art and all the boards and stuff like that. 
And he was just really aiming for something very muted and understated because the celebration kind of comes when you open the box. Like that's that's where we wanted that emotional resonance to kind of really ring true. And it's exciting. Like it, it makes sense to me that like uh, the production value kind of because we we did we did put a lot of effort into kind of making that that celebratory. Um, but we we probably spent you know even twice as long as we spent on that on making the gameplay good. Um, and that that's that's the part. Like it's it's one thing to have like a pretty game, um, but we we hope we hope that people find it to be a fun game too. But I will say this. I mean, I think that people will want to go buy a heat gun and shrink wrap and keep re-shrinking it and then popping it open and opening it. <laughs> I mean, you know, you could sell that as an accessory. I'm just saying here. <laughs> and you guys have also chosen to do self-distribution. Why did you choose to do that? Right. But I, I should be clear. It's not because it's the easier way to do it. It's, <laughs> it. it's actually very difficult to kind of get this game and kind of handle all the distribution. But we're in a very unique position where... You know, we could have made this game and sold it in a hobby store for like $150, $200. I think that kind of follows the traditional 5 to 7x markup that people expect from um, from board games. But we wanted to find a way to get this to players much cheaper. Um, and it wasn't because, and this is this is really important because I, I love my local board game stores and I, I love my hobby shops. Um, and that's kind of where I, I spent some many of my formative years kind of growing up but in order to get this game out at a, at a price that I thought that would be fair to a large number of our players who we were trying to get into the hobby we needed to kind of have a price point around $75 and even that a lot of people internally are like oh that's way too much you know let's sell it for 30 let's sell it for 60 and they're like well you, you haven't seen it yet 30 probably doesn't make any sense and they're like okay well you know we're a free-to-play game why 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 spend that much money and we're like well we think we're providing a lot of value and we hope that people will see that. And and ultimately, I, I guess that's the players are going to tell us if, if that's the case. But we we did self-distribution. Uh, and so the game is only going to be sold through nextfirstminions.com, and, uh, which will link you to like the Riot merch store. But we did that not because like we're trying to cut out, like sabotage the, the middleman or whatnot. We're, we're really just trying to get this game out to as many people as we can uh, and, and hoping to turn them on to the hobby. That's where that's coming from. But yeah, we're, we're doing self-distribution. When we did that, we were able to kind of cut out, like distributors will take, you know, if you have like a, this is just back of the napkin stuff, but like, uh, you know, if the game's like $10 to manufacture, you might sell it just to kind of keep the lights on. A typical board, board game company might sell it for like, you know, 16 or $18 to a distributor and, and make a small amount of profit to kind of keep hopefully developing more games or whatnot. And then, and then the distributor would take that $18 game and then sell it uh, to like a, a board game store for like, you know, $32, $34, and they would distribute it nationwide. And then that board game store would take it for $34 and sell it to players at like, you know, 60 bucks or something like that. So that $10 game they sell for, for $60. And that's that's not, we d we didn't invent that. It's just kind of like standard in the industry. And that's that's the reason for it. That's how they get it out to everyone. But if we didn't go to board game stores or distributors and we just did it all ourselves, we could we found a way to add a lot of quality and kind of keep the cost and pass all that savings on to our players. Not because it was easier on us. It, it, it wasn't, but because we thought that was a more player-focused decision. Yeah, I know that when I first got the game, we went through the opening and everything. I did it with my, my kids and my wife. Here, here are the suggested prices we thought was going to be because I asked them. Right. They thought 150 <laughs> 
150. I said 150. My wife said 200 bucks. When I told them $75, they're like, how? How are they even making any money on this? Because the quality is that good. Because I can pull out other games off my shelf that are $75 and don't come close to the quality of components that are in here. The minis are gorgeous. It's heavy cardstock. The the maps have like, whatever you printed them with, and there's some areas like the lava that have glisten. They're kind of glossy, but the rest of it's matte, which looks great. The heroes are pre-painted. And here's the thing. There's no punch boards in this thing, people. I didn't have to punch one thing. I just opened the box and set it up and started playing. Not one thing needed to be punched. There was no cardboard tokens. Tokens are metallic. Uh, they have these nice plastic uh, things that's used for, was it, what was it, crystals? It could have been typical cardboard tokens. It wasn't. And I and here's a question my son asked. The mini, the minions, did you guys wash those things? And I'm using a term that you do in, in, in miniatures where you can like paint it with a, a really like a blackish yes. liquid yeah. and it seeps into the crevices to give it a shadowy effect. Did y'all do something like that with the minions? Yeah, that, that's, that's exactly what we did. Painted a few miniatures in my day. Oh my gosh. Oh my, and this is the first thing we noticed because uh, we had played some, like we played Mansions of Madness with the same color type things. It's like, wait a minute, look at the depth of field or the depth that you get with these minions. And we really started looking close, like, holy cow, these things have been washed. They washed all these minions. That's insane. Yeah, we them all. Uh, not not Rick yeah. and I. No, Chris not, and I, totally. <laughs> it was just us. But, but honestly, it was the type of thing that like I, that that is so low cost compared to like I. There, there's definitely a cost associated to the player max, but like it was just such a. It, it makes it look so so much nicer. Uh, just for like a really small addition, we're partnered with Panda, and they were just like a, a just a, an incredible ally and kind of crafting this this vision of, of a collector's edition experience so i'm glad that you enjoyed the production value that's that's awesome people wait till you see the pictures you're, you're <laughs> just gonna be going like oh my gosh but more importantly gentlemen you talked about this may be a one-hit wonder or not or they may be this being your only shot and go out big it's not going to be it can't be you've got to tell me that you're going you're going to keep us going this is this is so beautiful we were going to want more what's the plan we've certainly got things we'd like to do you know out of this once once the game's out we really want to hear how, how the players react what they want to see out of it one of the things that i'm uh i'm eager to see actually since it's a modular board uh i'm really hoping that folks will will go and make their own scenarios and you know i want to i want to see their their homebrew rules and things like that, and and that'll help give us an idea. It's like what what are people doing with this? What are they? What would they want to see more? Are they are they kind of making their own kit bashed mechs? Are they creating PvP scenarios? You know, and we'll see we'll see what folks want, what they ask for on the on the forums. There's a lot of things we want to do. New scenarios. Uh, a lot of folks have suggested you know new characters. You know, a lot of people have asked for a PvP, you know, sort of competitive or race mode. There's so many different things we could do with it, but we don't want to get ahead of ourselves and we want to know what yeah. what people what people engage with and what they want to see more of. Yeah, honestly, it's it's a it's the type of thing where, you know, first and foremost, we're we're a game company and we're trying to, like this is something that we're proud of and we kind of saw it as like a you know, a love letter to, to gamers everywhere. Or that's that's might be terrible poetry, but that's what we were trying to write. And if players don't like it, then we won't do more. I think players would probably have to love it for it to kind of even make a lot of sense for Riot to kind of keep this a part of their portfolio. And honestly, we're just, we're in the business of listening to our players. So 
if there's a community for us to kind of keep doing this, I think it's something that Rick and I would both really enjoy to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but honestly, we've done our part now. Now we just need to listen to players and, and if they want more, we'll try and listen. We'll try and figure out what that might be. If it's another game, if it's expansions, if it's, you know, we, we have to be inspired by it too, but I, I'd love to kind of keep exploring that. For me, that's a big what if, and it all kind of depends on on the reception. Well, you're talking about wanting to make sure that the, the gamers like it. That's going to be in the gameplay. So let's talk a little bit, Tony, you and I, about the gameplay. We got to sit down and play this game. Mm -hmm. And uh, what you start out with is the tutorial, which kind of walks you through how to program a mech, how to move a mech around. And you really can't judge the game on that because it was really easy, straightforward. Yeah, you can't lose it. Yeah, you, you can't. There's no way to lose. So uh, if anybody's listening to this, you can't just do the tutorial and say, okay, that's what this game is because it's, cause it's not. After uh, we went through the tutorial, we grabbed mission one, we opened the envelope, we set up the game and it was like, I'm not going to spoil what mission one is because I want people to experience for themselves. So let's just say that you've got to, you got to set up a map and you've got to get from like point A to point B and I'm not going to tell you the story of what's going on but all of a sudden the game has changed it's like wait a minute we're pulling stuff out of the box we didn't use in the tutorial oh we're now using these tokens we're using these boards these hundred minions that I couldn't figure out how they were going to be used are now appearing and popping up all over the place and now we have an objective that we need to meet in order to win this game and all of a sudden the game took a serious twist and Tony said it the best I know you guys said it was uh it's like Robo Rally and Descent which I agree Tony just said wait a minute this is just a puzzle and I love that yeah. this is what it was mission one it's like you have this objective go from here to here do it and now, as a group, we're trying to solve this puzzle. How can we pull this off with the game working against us by programming our mechs to move a certain way and do certain things to get it done before the clock runs out? And it was so much fun. Like I said, it turned into, ha-ha, we're, we're doing this in the tutorial to hold it. Everybody stop. we got to think about this a second. <laughs> and what was funny in the tutorial... Uh, the first thing I said, uh oh, there's going to be a problem. I see an AP problem because there's this drafting. I'm not giving anything away to anybody that's listening. There's a drafting mechanic where you draft uh, the cards that you're going to do to program your mech. Your your mechs can do things like move forward. They can turn. They can shoot things. And you have your uh, six program slots that you can do that with. And one of the really cool things is, is you can stack the same types of cards on top of each other to get better abilities. The thing is, though, is those program slots have to stay there unless you do a a scrap action where you can scrap a card to swap a couple of the uh, the programming slots but anyway so you're trying to program each turn and that's where i thought uh oh ap is going to come in guys i can see it now somebody's going to sit there and they can't decide what they're going to do the game was going to drag and lo and behold in mission one you said oh by the way there's this sand timer here <laughs> and you must make your picks and do your program before the sand timer runs out i almost stood up and clapped <laughs> The one thing I was worried about, you immediately, immediately took care of in mission one was to stop that AP from happening, and then things got really stressful. What a fantastic experience, and I cannot wait to dig into missions two through 12. But first, we have to finish mission one because we failed on the last turn. <laughs>
<laughs> and here's gonna, the reason why. Ask. That clock ran out. And when the clock runs out, you have to randomly take what's left. The card that I got stuck with messed up my programming to going from us being able to win to losing. Oh, I'd like to say I'm sorry, but that would be a lie. <laughs> no, that's the, that's the whole purpose. If it was too easy, it wouldn't be any good. If we just walked through the 10 missions, there would be no value yeah. to this mm-hmm. game. But that's not the case. The play experience, everybody, was absolutely great. Tony, I've, I've talked. You, what did you think? I need to ask a um, rule interpretation question here. Sure. <laughs> okay. Don't give anything away. I'm not giving anything away because it's in the rule book. Okay. It's in the advanced thing. Towing and pushing. Mm-hmm. I, I understand pushing. That's that's an easy concept here, guys. But towing, if uh-huh. you move three, uh-huh. you can all, you'll only tow one and one because whatever you're towing, another mech, you'll uh-huh. move. You both will move one. Yeah. But if you move that other one, do you leave the mech behind? You, you sure do. do. Yep. You do. Oh, we played it right. Okay. I, I can talk a little bit uh, if, if you'd like about how we... Uh, you're going to get more questions on towing probably as people play <laughs> because it, cause it's very unique. I, I think that's very fair. And I I honestly, if, if I'm being kind of pretty self-critical, I, I think it's one of the more clunky mechanics that we have in the game. Right. It came about because you have the ability to kind of push this object along a wall. And once it's in a corner or something or along an edge, you can't really get behind it to push it out again. So we developed towing... Uh, and it started off as just like one movement if you're by it, and then it'll just kind of tow along with you. What ended up happening there is towing just was infinitely more powerful than pushing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the interesting choices that you were making uh, kind of went out the window. So we made it a little bit less attractive. And once you get the hang of it, it's actually very, it, it's a, it's a, I think it's a very fun skill, but it is one of the more complicated rules that we introduce in the game period. I think if you can master towing, then your ability to play next first minions is probably pretty, pretty easy. Yeah. That's one of the trickier bits, but yeah, it's, it's intended that kind of like, that's your, that's your toe chain breaking. Cause you're going too fast and you're rocking it off ahead. We've seen some interesting, some folks have some interesting strategies to try to handle that, you know, handing things off, handing it off like a baton or having somebody else come back and put, push it the extra space a little bit of good teamwork can can overcome that but yeah you played it right okay well that's good to know now i will say this marty you and i are very critical of rule books mm-hmm. guys great job great examples thank you honestly we're, we're we're learning as we go i'll be honest again like there there are things that we've already once we got got it to, to rodney he, he he's going through right now and he's like man this is great and then he's going through and he asks like very hyper specific questions um, that we know the answers to, but the fact that he doesn't, uh, we're like, oh, that's unfortunate. And I don't think it's anything like game breaking or, or anything like that, but it's definitely, we've had opportunities for growth like throughout this. Hey, here's the deal. You're free to tell Rodney to shut up and sit down too if you want. <laughs> All right. He's like the nicest guy. Yeah, to your face. Oh. Wait till you play a game with him. Wait till you play a game with this guy and then it's just, it's no holds barred at that point. Oh, yeah. He'll smile at you as his ashes deck kicks you to <laughs> kingdom come and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to play this card that's going to hurt you for 10 damage. My bad. Sorry. Yeah, whatever. No, no. It's, it's more like, oh yeah, we were allied guess what we're not allied anymore let me pull that knife out of your back real quick <laughs> no i was just going to say you talked about the opening of a box being that experience the next thing a gamer does after he gets through opening a box is he grabs the rule book right. so true so you've got to have that enjoyable experience as well because we've we've even posted in our guild this kind of question if there's a big thick real rule book or people feel 
overwhelmed by it, they'll put the game aside. So you've uh, once again achieved that. No, you didn't achieve that them putting it aside. You achieved them playing the game. Well, that's right, right. that's standing on the shoulders of giants. That's that's a fantasy flight special right there. Yeah. But what you've done is you've done a good job. You have the tutorial where you introduce a couple mechanics. Sweet. Open up mission one. Oh, guess what? Here's a couple more mechanics that are now involved in the game. And I don't know because I don't want to spoil anything. I haven't broken into the other missions because I kind of want to experience as you're supposed to do. There may be other things that's going to be added onto the game. And that's where I said it's, it's, I know you guys don't want to call it legacy, but I was saying legacy in the fact that with Pandemic Legacy, the first game is like regular Pandemic then something changes and the game has changed a little bit. That's how I felt going from the tutorial to mission one. It's like, wait a minute, the game has now changed. Here's these new rules that I need to, to interact with. And, it, and it's changed up a bit, but I, I will say this, that, and I, and that's credit to what Tony was saying that the rule book does a really good job of just kind of teaching you little tidbits as you go. But what's the nice thing is I know people may be concerned. Oh, great. Once I finish all 10 missions, then I'm done. I don't have to play the game anymore. Well, that's where I'm glad it's not a legacy game because there are no stickers. There's nothing torn or anything broken. There's no reason why you just can't pick up a mission and try to do it more efficiently. There's no reason why you can't pick up a mission, bring new players into the game and try to teach it to them. So please, even though I use the term legacy, it's not that way. And even though once you know how the missions work, there's nothing that doesn't hurt the replay value at all. Right. Actually, when you beat all 10. Yeah, you might you might find something in that last envelope that gives you reason to go back. Dang it, y'all. Okay, Tony, come on over. We got to get through 10 missions, man. <laughs> well, I think one of the things I'm prouder of, of the work that, that Rick did is I feel like the missions are, they're pretty varied. Like you would have to take on a very different type of strategy, at least I think, between like the second mission and like the eighth mission or, or the third mission or the fifth mission. Like it's it introduces different mechanics, but also just different goals. Like you're either trying to defend something or escort something or... Uh, get to something very quickly or race against the clock. I mean, like Pandemic Legacy is a great example because I think it's a jaw-droppingly brilliant game. But every time I play, and, and Rick and I kind of went through together, they change up, they they throw curveballs at you and they throw, throw, throw twists. But for me, at least, it kind of felt like I kept playing Pandemic, which is an amazing game. But, you know, I was playing it over and over again and just like these different curveballs that kind of keep it fresh and interesting. The goals and the strategies that you have to take to kind of succeed in the the various missions on on mix and some of them like there is some overlap but a lot of times you have to it's like almost like trying to solve a completely different type of puzzle when we were talking to the qa and we're trying to do play balancing we had uh we had a a couple of points where we we asked the players to kind of rate the the basic command cards and like which are the best you know which are useful and we got to a point where the some of the players would then ask it's like well what's the mission objective and i'm like okay that's that's, that's exactly right, right. That's, that's, right that's 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 what i want to hear is you know you'll you'll actually have value different cards differently depending on on the scenario that actually brings up another question. How did you do playtesting? Was it blind testing? Did you just say, give the people here, go do it? And how were you able to get all these people to playtest and, and tweak it without the word getting out that you're doing something? You see Men in Black with that little mind eraser device? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. We, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we're, we're so fortunate to work at, at a company that, that we're core gamers. I mean, like, you know, there, there are tons of people who play board games here. And we're also fortunate enough to work at a company that I guess has the resources to pull in random people off the street and do kind of blind play tests, but it would depend on what we were testing. If we were testing kind of the construction of the original, we we have a gameplay team that works on balancing League of Legends uh, champions and brought them out and like, all right, well, let's 
this is what we were thinking. And they'd be like, no, that's not fun. Oh, well, here's what we're thinking. They're like, no, that's also not fun. How about this? It's like, that's fun, but it's totally broken. I can beat this in three turns. Um, we're like, geez, guys. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, don't so. Don't make it easy on us. Yeah. For, the, for the first part of the, the development, you know, all of our play tests were kind of run by Chris or myself or some of the play test guys. And, you know, it was all. Um, you know, very much guided, and because we were looking for gameplay as opposed to testing other things. Once we got the uh, the rule book and we had to start testing that, then we'd we'd actually do blind play tests where we'd sit folks in a room and we'd sit on the other side of a window and and kind of you know chew on our fingernails while we watched them uh, misinterpret rules over and, and over again. Yeah, uh, not their fault. That was our fault. Yeah, it was all on it was us. Painful. Yeah. So that that if you're if you like the rule book. That uh, that was hard fought and painful, but yeah, we got a lot of folks through, and and it and finally at one point we just kind of handed it over to our our QA team, and and they just ran dozens and dozens and dozens of of play tests, both internally and externally. That's one difference. We talked earlier about the the easy nature of of kind of prototyping when it comes to board games as opposed to video games. I I think you pay the pay the opposite end of that at the uh, other end of the spectrum oh, yeah. when. When it comes time to like play test a video game, I can get people to come by and play test something that I've been working on in like five, ten minutes and be like, oh, that's not good. Oh, that's good. Uh, try this. And I'd make a quick change and they're like, all right, yeah, that's better. But for a board game, for it to like really fully test it, you have to spend like an hour for four people and then like, all right, let's make a tweak. Oh, all right. An hour for four more people. That part is very slow. And it's, it's important. You right. have to do it. But yeah, yeah. it was painful. So search deep, dig down deep. Okay. What is your going to be your biggest concern when you release this game, and what does success look like for you two? My biggest concern is no one will like it. <laughs> oh, forget that. Go to the next one. I said dig deep. <laughs> dig deep. Chris's biggest concern, uh, other than, yeah, he really is concerned nobody will like it. That's the job of a producer, uh, to assume it's going to fail. I would, if I can speak for him, yeah. I think his his biggest uh Fear is that somebody found find something horribly broken in the uh, in the rule book or something we just didn't play test and it ruins the experience for people because as soon as it gets out there they're going to post it on Reddit and it's like oh you actually don't need to I have so many I, I my hairline is receding I you know I'm getting like I'm I'm a nervous wreck because like I, I really I, I think our team has poured a lot of heart and effort into the into making this you talked about the job of a producer my my job is just spotting all of the different ways where I've messed up that that we just haven't seen yet and and trying to get ahead of that and i just see like a a billion different permutations where where something just went catastrophically wrong and i've missed it and i've let my team down that's that's my biggest fear is that i've i've because you know i'm so proud of the work rick did and i'm so proud of the work of the danny and, and like just the whole team just did an amazing job and i hope people like it that's that's what i really hope if i could do you i, I would say that uh uh, your your biggest fear is that people will be enamored with the quality of the components, mm -hmm. um, but not enamored with the game flow. Yeah, you are right spot on with that. Yeah. It's like, it's, you know, everybody oohs and ahs and, and that op box opening experience. It's yeah, like, we landed and there. Then it's, and then it's all on, you know, the gameplay. But is the game good? Because yeah. that's all, honestly, that's what matters. Like, exactly. it, it's, you can polish it as much as you want, but if the core game isn't fun, that's that's why we did it. That's That's what we hope we've made, so... We don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll find out. And I'm, yeah. I'd actually love it if you guys reach out to us and let us know if you if you do decide to kind of keep playing. How if you decide? Yeah. yeah. What's your what's your further 
what that experience is like. It's not if, it's we, we will. And see, that's why I was letting uh, the listeners know, you can't just do the tutorial and make a decision on the game yeah. because that's not the game. Yeah, that's, it's that's really just, it, it, you get, it's really like peeling an onion. That is just the first little layer of how it works. You've really got to go into it a little bit further. But the thing is, though, it's not like you got to go too much further to start really having fun. We had a blast with Mission 1. And I can't wait to see uh, uh, what comes comes after that. So for people who want to play this game, you don't look at the tutorial. And I assume that we have some of these rules out where people can. Yeah, I think we're actually releasing the rulebook as a PDF. I doubt you're going to sit there and expose the Mission 1, Mission 2, etc. Because you kind of want that to be a secret. So don't judge this game by tutorial zero. And yes, after the tutorial, I was like, uh, is that really all there is to this? And then I ripped open the envelope to Mission 1, and when we were done, I was going, wow, that was a good experience. Well, I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but that uh, that jump between the tutorial and Mission 1, you, you may find something seri- uh, similar between uh, Mission 1 and Mission 2. It's a, it's a game for core gamers, hopefully. Uh, it, there's really a moment, and I, I can spot this because we've just done so many playtests, it's really when you spawn minions at the beginning of Mission 1, the first time you... You spawn minions and like all the minions move and then you put more down. You're just like, you, you see everybody settle down. They're like, oh, and you just man. look around the table and people realize what the game is because <laughs> we're in trouble. Yeah. You don't get, you don't get that moment in the, in the tutorial, in the tutorial at all. Cause we wanted it to be really quick and you just get through it and you learn the basics. It's the moment when minions spawn and min- mission one that like, you just look around the table. People are like, oh, wait, all of them. And you're like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did that we, we reread that rule like three or four times like this can't be right they moved and then all these other guys came in yeah. and it, it was like oh no i think this is right and that's why there's a hundred of these little guys yeah. and then you then you start to see the game that's that's the real game and you know there there are other opportunities to kind of have that feeling again and again i think there's a fun one i'm, I'm just going to ask did you open up the the, the sealed box no okay no not until I'm told to do I want to open that sealed box. All right. All right. Send us an email. Let us know what happens uh, yeah. when you do. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited now <laughs> because the sealed box is gorgeous. Uh, if, I, if people need to go find this online or something, it's a box and there's like an axe coming out the edge of it. And it's like, obviously, there's a figure inside of it, but there's this tape seal on it. Like, OK, I'm not supposed to open this yet. I cannot wait to see what's inside that thing. <laughs> I'm sorry we don't have it ready for you right now because we're it's going through post-production. But there's also going to be like a radio play. That kind of really doubles down on the story of the game. You know, for people who don't like League of Legends, well, first off, I, I think it's a, it's a good primer in introducing our characters, but or at least a handful of them. If you don't like League of Legends, it's completely optional. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do anything like that. But it's about three or four minutes before and after and, and typically during each mission. So as it escalates, you would like press a button and then there's more of a story. And I'm I'm personally really proud of that story, but we'll... It, I haven't seen another board game kind of do it in this way, so I'm nervous about it. I don't. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's, it's not like. like it. I mean, it's nothing like Chris says. It's, it's totally optional, yeah, right? There's yeah. nothing like uh, that. That you're missing you know, out. You have to. to. Yeah, but yeah. it's so it's not like XCOM or or something like that. It's just kind of a a companion piece. Yeah, that's where we got to put our extra story. Yeah, and there's the story's fun. I I, I laugh. At I can time. say that because I didn't. I didn't write. Yeah, it. we didn't. <laughs> we didn't write it. We just. <laughs> I'm just really proud of of the work that other people did. So you told me your fear. What's success? Yeah, what's success? Success is, you know, players, they play it, they love it, 
they share their uh, their stories of their playthrough, and they start making their own versions. They they have homebrew scenarios and homebrew rules because that's always how I interact with with games that I really love. As I start, well, I'm a game designer. I guess this isn't surprising, but you know, I start making my own versions and I start making house rules and I come up with alternate scenarios. So I think if I see people doing that, that'll That'll be success for me. What does success look like? I, I think for me, it, it looks like people enjoy it. I, I, I think that, you know, people playing with their kids, people playing with their, their college roommates or something like that, finding opportunities to kind of do something together collectively, um, accomplish something that you're proud of, strengthening friendships. And like I don't know, the stuff I'm going to say is real hokey, but like... You're that, a pretty that, hokey guy. Yeah, that's, that seems to be stuff that motivates <laughs> Like I... I I love the idea that there might be some kid out there who would play this game and be inspired to kind of create a better game one day that I'd get to play. That sounds amazing. I, I, I love the idea of people in the industry playing it and being like, wow, you know, I didn't know that you could do this. And maybe it is worth it to kind of put a little wash job on the on our figures because they pop a lot better. And uh, or like trays, you know, let's let's take a certain level of pride that maybe I don't want to say that we haven't done before, but like coax the industry in, in like a, a really healthy direction that kind of creates these these experiences and less about moving all the units in the world and more about like how do you create something that that you really remember, you know, playing with your dad as you're growing up or like I, I think there are going to be all kinds of different stories and situations and hope people are proud to have a copy and they'll they'll put it in a place of honor on their bookshelf for years to come. That's that's my hope. It better be a pretty sturdy bookshelf, I'm just saying. <laughs> and, and Chris, let me just say, it will be sitting next to Strike. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry he is ruining your game <laughs> by putting it next to a copy of Strike. That's just embarrassing. It's not embarrassing. I am sorry you had to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> right, here's a question for you so you say everybody at riots gamers they love playing games so what board games are on the tables at riot games the most let's see well a bunch of us went to to gen con we came back from that with scythe and cry havoc and Seafall. vast vast oh vast yeah vast was, is fun vast was uh was one of the big surprises for for our crew yeah that's a that is a fun creative Really Silly. unexpected game. Yeah, Captain Sonar. I got that oh, one too. Man. Yeah, that's, that's fun. Uh, we're talking really about the new hotness, though, right now. Rather than, I think if I were to take a step back over the course, I love Forbidden Stars. I think. Oh yes, a phenomenal game uh, for me personally. I loved. Uh, <laughs> I, I love the legacy games. I, obviously, I've, I've talked about Rob often, and and you know it, it depends on the audience, right? You you play. Like I could probably play Patchwork with my wife, but she probably wouldn't play Forbidden Stars with me. So you have to kind of pick the right game for the right group. Mm -hmm. One of the highlights for me of of Gen Con was I I got to meet Vlada uh, Shavadol and uh, mm -hmm. just the nicest guy. Oh, he's so yeah. That's true. And, we, and we, we do everything play a lot of code that he man. yeah everything that he touches. I and and just the variance of the design. I mean, like he's just I could fanboy out for I I was. I was pretty nervous in that that meeting. Yeah, need to get together and play Forbidden Stars sometime. That was one of my top games of last year. Yes. love that game. Yeah, I would love that. If you would have flown us out, we could have done it. But that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let that one go. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'll, I'll be I'll be really honest. And I, I told this when I met the Secret Cabal guys, which is embarrassing. But like, I just I didn't really listen to podcasts that often. And I've since 
I've, you know, I've, I've listened to yours and I, I you know, congratulations on a hundred episodes. Uh, and I know that came out recently and, and I've been listening to secret cabal and I'm listening to all kinds of podcasts. Now I don't even listen to music anymore. So it's been a really exciting exploration for me, but that's like, if I'm just going to be really honest, that's, that's why I didn't. I'm kidding. No, no I'm kidding. kidding. I'm We're t- kidding. Tony is trying to make you feel uncomfortable and he did it. <laughs> Now you have to apologize for that. The strike comment and that one. <laughs> no, I, let, let me be honest. I pointed out that you lost the email. It had nothing to do with them. They invited us. <laughs> you lost it. Well, now we know you. Here's the thing. Uh, so everybody knows us. But guys, we want to get to know you a little bit better. Sure. And if you may have heard some of our previous shows where we've had guests on, we like to play a game with all of our guests that we like to call Rank them. <laughs> So gentlemen, this is how this is going to work. We are going to give you a list of three things, three items, and you're going to rank them however you want, and then tell us why you ranked them that way. Do you understand the rules of this game? I do. I do. Here we go. The first one, FPS, RTS, or RPG? And Chris, we'll start with you. Uh, definitely real-time strategy for me would be number my, my favorite. I was like mm-hmm. fourth in Warcraft 3. Like on the Lord Run server, that was my wow my claim to fame. Um, so I, I love I love real real time strategy, and that brought me into MOBAs, which brought me into Riot. I'm playing a lot of Overwatch right now, so I'll probably say FPS next. But man, there are some that's hard because RPGs. Now I'm gonna go RPG two, and then FPS third because uh, I think back on like my Pools of Radiance, mm-hmm. uh, Pool of Radiance days, and uh, that's how I kind of got started in video gaming, and that that was that that's my origin story. All right, Rick. All right, so my ranking is going to be RTS, FPS, RPG, and that's in the order of most likely to make me throw my controller in rage. <laughs> <laughs> wow, RTS will make you throw your controller I more am, so than an FPS. Oh God, yeah, I am. I am terrible at RTS. See. I'm 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 not good. Um and I also I tend to uh in in RTSs I'd go with really terrible strategies that because um because I think it makes more story sense. Um so that doesn't really work <laughs> out so well. I'm a, I'm a role player at heart, which is why RPGs are down at the bottom of that list. It's like I'm a, you know, I I started with uh with uh, Holmes Dungeons and Dragons and his video games and you know the, the original Ultima on, on Apple II. Uh, Tony? All right, so for me, it's going to be uh, RPG, then RTS, then FPS, and it's based on my reaction times with the controller. I can, man- <laughs> I can manage an RPG game. RTS doesn't require as much quick time, and then you can hang up a first-person shooter. I'll spawn, I'm dead. Spawn, dead. <laughs> Okay, so for me, I'm going to go with like most memorable experiences. And I probably have most memorable experience with RPGs, mainly MMOs like uh, World of Warcraft and Guild Wars, etc. Followed by RTS. I used to be a huge StarCraft fan. Love that game. And then FPS. And and mainly that's a that's a mouse throwing or controller throwing game for me, too. I haven't played FPS in a while, but I, too, am really hung up on Overwatch. That's a really cool game. Tony, you're up. All right, Rick. You get to start us off. Rank the following: Defender, Asteroids, Pac-Man. Ooh, all right. Um, and, and we're not using the sand timer that you can find in Mexico versus Minions right now. <laughs> so, so then this would be Defender, 
probably asteroids and then Pac-Man, uh, and that would be the uh, the likelihood that I would beat my younger brother at any of these games. He was a pro at uh, at Pac-Man, but uh, but he was never able to beat me in uh, in Defender or Asteroids. Actually, all right, Chris, I was going to come up with like a clever story behind it, mm-hmm. like you know how I would defend the world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would take like a Pac-Man. But I, I'm just going to go with the games I like the best because I'm I'm not I'm not that clever. I, I like Pac-Man specifically, Miss Pac-Man, but Pac-Man. That's Ms. Pac-Man, you sexist <laughs> pig. <laughs> and then I'd probably say. Asteroids and then Defender. Okay, Marty. I'm going to go by the amount of quarters that I sunk into the games. Okay. And the the one I put the most into was Asteroids, mm. followed by Defender. Even though I was never good, I really enjoyed the game, but I, I stunk at that game. And then uh, Pac-Man Last. All right. And I, w- I was actually going to rank it the same way, Marty, but I'm going to change it now, um, not by quarters. I'm going to say by when I played them. I remember playing Asteroids when it first showed up at the grocery store. And then Defender sat next to it. And then Pac-Man finally showed up at the local area, Putt-Putt, which is where all video arcades <laughs> got their home. Oh, man. Putt-Putt. Oh, that's funny. Okay, here's the next question. Now, I got this uh, from, because you guys are based out of California. Not sure where you're originally from. I'm just going from the company based in California. I saw this video a few weeks ago that had Californians trying Southern food. <laughs> all right. Here's some Southern food that you can rank. Fried pickles, fried squash, fried okra. Uh, Chris? I hide it, but I, I'm actually from all over in the South. I was okay. Born in Mississippi, Louisiana, Dallas, Midwest. So I, I, I'd say fried okra. What were my options? Fried okra. Uh, as soon as you said that. Fried I, squash and fried pickles. So fried, fried okra, fried pickles, fried squash. Those, those are the, the things that I would, I would devour. And then I would, I would get even... Larger than I, I have become. <laughs> Rick? Um, let's see. I uh, I would put fried pickles at the top, then fried okra, and then fried squash. And pickles go at the top. And this is the order of, of you know, the order that I'd steal them from the buffet table. Um, <laughs> pickles, anything pickles. I love pickles. I don't care. Pickle it. I'll eat it. And uh, okra? Uh, I haven't uh, I haven't had an awful lot of fried okra, but I'm I'm a fan of okra in general, and and squash. Um, I think frying squash is probably wrong. I think that's, <laughs> that's actually that's a bad thing. You can fry anything. You can fry you can anything. Fry anything. It doesn't mean you should fry anything. Fry a shoe, and I'll eat it. <laughs> Tony, well, Chris, did I just hear a sigh of disgust for Rick for not knowing about fried okra? Was that? Yeah, it? yeah, it was. It was definitely. I. It was. A, it He's was judging a, me. Yeah, no, it, constantly. Honestly, I hear you. I, I'm with you there, but I'm going to rank it as in fried okra, fried squash, and fried pickles as to what goes well with gravy. Oh, hmm, interesting. And for me, I'm going to go from what's the easiest to pick in the garden to the hardest. <laughs> so we're going with fried pickles, fried squash, fried okra, because I hate cutting okra, Tony. I hated doing that as a kid. <laughs> I'll be honest. I, I don't know where... I probably shouldn't say this in front of your entire audience, but I, I don't know where okra comes from. I just know where it goes, which is... <laughs> Let me just tell you that you, you can't go to an okra plant and just pull it mm. off. You have to cut it with a knife because it has little prickly things on it. Such a pain in the butt. Oh. They, well. they come right off the plant fried, though. <laughs> 
That's, that's true. Today I learned. What I want to know is when did pickles start growing in a garden? I know cucumbers did, but I like how you got a dill <laughs> sitting out there. Well, I know. I Okay, I'm sorry. It's a cucumber. Oh, okay. So for the last, rank them. Here we go, gentlemen. Warp speed, teleporter, replicator. Rick? Um, okay. So teleporter, replicator, warp speed, ranked in in order of likeliness of creating a paradox. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm going to say replicator, teleporter, warp speed on the things that I'm planning to invent. That That's the order that I'm going to release them to, okay. to, to save hu- humankind. I see. Well, I've been cool. working on it. I've yeah. been studying my maths yeah. and the sciences. I'm going to go teleporter. Warp speed, replicator, it's just for saving me time from getting from one place to the other. I guess with replicator, I guess if I can make a copy of myself, they could go and I could stay right where I am, but I'll I'll put that one last. I've seen the prestige. That's a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. Well, I just watched the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, and I'm going to rank them in the order in which I think we will see them appear for humans to use. Replicator teleporter warp speed and believe it or not there are replicators being produced right now for food they have they're really high intense things so think about it guys star trek 50 years ago there weren't sliding doors flip phones the whole thing think what they have brought to our lives and how they have changed us isn't a food replicator just called a cow though <laughs> no, yes that's a good point I, I i think you're i think you're spot on tony that's why that's why i will invent them for the human race <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, did you get to play um, Star Trek Ascendancy yet? No, not yet. It's it's on our shelves. Yeah, we had to play this other game from these other great guys in California before we got to Star Trek, but that's okay. Well, I, I'm looking forward to hearing what you think of Star Trek Ascendancy, though. Yeah, I'm I, I'm sitting there trying to figure out how we're going to find five hours to even play this game, Tony. You still got to teach me how that's going to happen. So, Replicator, man. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> Replicator. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need, man. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Thank you so much for letting us be a part of uh, this game release. Um, Let's get some details about this game. So uh, tell us where people can find out about the game. uh, When is the release date? And just kind of go from there. Uh, Chris or Rick, either one of you can do this. We're launching in about a month. I expect approximately mid-October. We're trying to get it out pretty soon, which should be about maybe about three, four weeks since uh, from the time that this is airing. And you can pick it up exclusively at, at the Riot Games merch store. MexVersusMinions.com. Yeah, go to MexVersusMinions.com, M-E-C-H-S-V-S-M-I-N-I-O-N-S.com. But yeah, that's that's the game. It's uh, coming in at, I think, $75. Is shipping $75 because of the beast this game is? <laughs> no, I... Uh, Shipping varies based on uh, the country you're in, but like, for instance, in the States, I think it's going to be $8. Yeah, the, the shipping's relatively reasonable. And how many copies of this game are available? In English, we've we've made 30,000 for Wave 1. If they sell out, 30,000 is a lot for a board game order. So we, we tried to do our best to kind of make sure that everyone who wanted one could get a copy. Uh, but we're not sure if, if, you know, we'll sell out of that in five years or if we'll sell out of that in you know, five days, but yeah. So 30,000. And then if there appears to be a demand, we'll probably order more if we sell out of that. And, uh, 
and if there it appears that there's there's a desire for the game in other uh regions i think we've already translated it into like you know 20 different languages so uh it's part of the localization pipeline here at riot yeah, I was actually going to ask about localization, so it's going to be available all over? Initially, just in English. Are we making the rulebook, the localized rulebooks available? Yes, we'll probably make the tutorial and the and the rulebook available uh, so that people can kind of translate it and have, have an idea. And then I, I think we also have a very small order for the China market. If anyone can crack into China and make board games extremely successful there, I think it'll be really great for um, the entire industry. So we're, we're, we're making a few thousand copies for China as well uh, at this initial launch. In my industry, uh, I like to do a repeat back. So I want to make sure for everybody, because it is, you can order when this um, show drops at mechsversusminions.com and it's shipping in October. Is that correct? No, but that's a, I'm glad you repeated it back. It'll go on sale in October. We talked about doing pre-orders and ultimately we weren't sure if that was a very player focused decision. I made the call and might ultimately have been the wrong call, but uh, it'll go on sale in October. So you can't even pre-order it. You can go to mechsfirstminions.com, see a video, find out more about the game. You know, you can see components or whatnot. Probably October 13th is is when we're aiming to, to start selling the game. It'll start shipping immediately though, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's we, we didn't want to do a world where, like, just because we're a video game company and we've seen how... I don't know, at least in my opinion, how toxically video game companies leverage doing pre-orders as a, as a way to kind of mitigate their risk but provide less player value. That's one of the reasons why we've delayed telling people about the game, even though we wanted to, <laughs> right up until the end because we were trying to kind of keep, keep that surprise and keep, uh, avoid the, the hype getting overhyped and then and then under delivering people can just uh, stay up to date with uh mechs versus menus.com and as soon as they can order it it will immediately be shipped yes yep that's cool everybody uh keep an eye on that is there any other contact information we need from you gentlemen in case they want to have any questions or anything the the forums should be live when the website so should be now when when this is airing yeah. so that's the best place to ask questions if you've got a question probably somebody else has the same question and and i I think the whole team will be, we, we tend to be pretty diligent yeah. about listening to players. So we'll have our own forum set up and then we'll probably also be spending some time on board game geek and, and Reddit and whatnot. But, and one last question, mechs versus minions. You guys went with a very simple, straightforward name. Is there a reason for that? I, I liked it. We we're actually going to call it mechs and minions like dungeons and dragons. But as we were saying it, mechs and minions sounded like Mexican minions <laughs> which was odd so that uh, seemed inappropriate well no there's nothing inappropriate about that mm. but it just seemed odd like because they're not well anyways so <laughs> <laughs> uh so next next first minions was uh just something very simple very understated i like games that when you see them in in the, the list you get a sense of what they're about what would you guys have named the game just so i know uh, i'll go first Mari. Pure total awesomeness, blow your mind, <laughs> completely co-op puzzle taking game of mechs versus minions. <laughs> but I think Board Game Geek would have probably put a kibosh on that. I was going to go with replicating teleporter. <laughs> <laughs> they do replicate and teleport in. So there you go. <laughs> or frustration in a box would also work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, that's, that's the mark of a good game. You lose and you're like, 
by God, I'm going to beat this son of a gun. And you keep <laughs> doing it. What's neat too is um, there is there are random elements. You do draw cards and there are, are some dice. But if you're good at the game, like we've seen people reliably beat the very, very hard difficulties consistently because there is a mastery curve that as you understand the strategies that you're kind of being asked to kind of to do, like there is some randomness, but it's not, there, there's definitely a path of mastery where you can win reliably. And that's actually a very good point. It's a very thematic game, like you said, with not a lot of randomness. It comes from mainly the card draw and how you're going to be able to do your programming. But when it comes to interacting like the mechs versus minions, it's it's pretty straightforward. There's no like dice combat or anything like that. Uh, the, uh, the dice is mainly used like in the in the damage cards where your slotted damage is going to go. By the way, the, the damage mechanic is, is really cool. We didn't really talk about how that works, but basically when you take damage, there may be these actions that you have to put in your programmable slots and they just happen to do this like okay you have a glitch it has to turn 90 degrees you have a glitch you have to move forward two spaces just really cool things like that to really uh, help help bring in that theme it's just really well done cool well gentlemen thank you again so much uh lots of uh, good luck to you i don't think that you'll need it uh like i said everybody can start looking for a lot of information about this game i know that rodney's looking on a watch it play video if it's not out now it will be out soon so you can see exactly how it plays but it's going to be an interesting situation for rodney too because he can't reveal too much either on how the game is played or some of it will be spoiled so i'll i can't wait to see how rodney squirms <laughs> and um, and puts this together without uh, revealing too much. But Ronnie's very good at that. He did that. He's done that with Seafall. So he can give us a really great overview of the game and uh, still keep all the surprises in place. So, Chris, Rick, thank you so much for coming on and spending some time with Marty, us. Thank Thanks you so much us. for having us here. Man. You, you, you too, Tony. This is our, our first podcast. So thank you for you know making it easy on us. Yeah, we're really good to meet you guys. Let me know how Mission 3 goes. Yeah. And I will say that uh, uh, the humility uh, with these gentlemen, uh, Chris is the one I've been working with, is just absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> like I said at the beginning, that Riot Games is a huge company with a huge uh, video game property. And Chris was constantly, look, if you don't like the game, let's not do it. Like, I'm going to send you the game, but if you don't like it, we ain't got to talk about it. You know, the game's not going to exactly come out when we thought it was. If you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to. It was just constantly, that's no, Chris, I like the game. I want to talk about it. I want to, just a very humble spirit. And I think what you said early on, guys, is that's important. You don't have a lot of pride. You realize we can always make things better. And by keeping that in the forefront, you do. You want to make the experience as good as possible. And by keeping pride in check, you can do that. And I see it in interacting with you. Uh, you are uh, a great couple guys, a great uh, a couple spokesmen for your company, and I, I can't wait to see what this game does once it gets out in the wild. Thanks Likewise. A Thanks a lot, Marty. Thanks, that means a lot to me. Now, Marty, just sit right back, and I'm going to tell you a tale, and it's a tale about a fateful trip. It started from this tropic port. The weather started getting rough. This tiny ship, the Esmeralda, was tossed. If not for the courage of these four fearless crewmen, all would have been lost. Now, I'm telling you this tale because it's the tale of Robinson Crusoe. No phone, no lights, no motor car, and it wasn't a single luxury. But this crew was able to pull it together even though it was primitive as could be. If you are interested in such a tale, tell of Robinson Crusoe, then you need to check out the new 
portal re-implementation of this game. And if Ignacy does anything for Robinson Crusoe like he did for Stronghold 2nd Edition, my wife's gonna love it, with or without a sunny beach. So Ignacy will be releasing this game at Essen. So be sure to go to portalgames.pl to get your pre-orders in. So Marty, do you understand now why the name of this episode is Iron Man? Well, I assume because we're working together to build these little mechs, correct? Sure. And I've always wanted to use Iron Man on one of our shows. <laughs> it, just, it just resonates through the back, you know, I am Iron Man. You know, that's just amazing. Excuse me. I just, let me quickly go find and make sure I've got enough money to pre get this game ordered. This is going to be 30,000 copies. My prediction, one week. Wow. I mean, think about it. If a company sells 10,000 copies, that's incredible. And we're yeah. talking 30,000. Well, think about your customer base and that they're trying to reach out to. Uh, so from that standpoint, you know, maybe maybe some people will branch out. You and I both loved the implementation of StarCraft. Oh, yeah. Appreciate those guys, Chris, Rick, for stopping by the show and talking to us and telling us all about this game. Now, we were fortunate enough to get a review copy, and they were not kidding about Taking your breath. Oh, I could have called this one taking your breath away. What's taking your breath away? Who sings that? I don't, wasn't, I don't remember. I don't know. I, I don't think I think of it as every breath you take. Okay. We know that one. That, that's a police. But anyway, when you gave me that box, it was, it was amazing. Uh, simply amazing. And since we've done this interview, we're recording this outro a, a little bit later. I had a chance to go and get to the second mission, Tony. You did. I did. The uh, the the mission one, which I said we weren't going to spoil. Uh, let's just put it this way. It's a, it's a transport mission. How about that? You play MMOs or such a thing called a transport mission. That's exactly what this is. And uh, the thing that you're transporting can be destroyed. And if you, if you do, you lose the game. So here we were. It was uh, myself... And my two uh, boys, Adam and Travis, we were playing. There wasn't much time left to uh, finish the objective without the thing being destroyed. And we, we were just sitting there looking around, how can we pull this off? And even though, even though there's the minute timer in there so that you can't have AP while drawing the cards, once you get the cards in place, then you kind of sit back and try to discuss how you're going to do this. And I knew it was like, we got to do this in one or two turns or this game is over. And so Travis said, I'm, I'm going to go to the restroom real quick. And he goes in there and Adam and I start working. And we like, we'll have that Eureka moment. It's like, Eureka, we got it. Travis comes running out of the bathroom. How, 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 how? So we walked through the steps and I said, I think that's it. I think that's how we do this. And we meticulously walked through the steps. We finished the objective. We all high five each other. We get out mission two. We open it up pull out the whole new set of rules, adds another couple new rules, a new storyline, and this mission is totally different than mission one, and I cannot wait to sit down and try it. Oh, that is so cool. Now, I do have a quick question. Did he wash his hands? Because if he hasn't, I expect to be sanitized before <laughs> I come and play the game. I'm sorry. Travis is a good boy, but I, I draw the line. All I can picture is the Seinfeld episode uh, where uh, George Cassandra is trying to get a job at uh, Vandalay Industries and he's in the bathroom and he says, whatever you do, answer the phone, Vandalay Industries, and Kramer doesn't do it. And he runs out the door with his pants around his ankles going, Vandalay Industries, Vandalay Industries. That's what I pictured when you said that. Oh, well, that's cool. That meant nothing to me because, you know, I never watched <sighs> Seinfeld. But anyway, so... 
for me, Marty, I mean, we played through the tutorial, we played through Mission 1. Not a full review here, but guys, I really did enjoy the game. Yeah, the components are amazing. If you take away the amazing components, Tony, let's just say you just have your standard board game components. I still think this is a fun game. Oh, yeah. I, the, the thinking part of it, the I enjoy the, the programming of the mechs out on the thing and the ability to just, uh, the multi-use of the cards to be able to cure yourself. I love the damage. I love the fact that no one's being eliminated. It's a co-op game. You're being challenged with a puzzle. I mean, it's all there. These are these are things that I enjoy in a game. And it's so easy to learn. The basics really can be taught in five minutes. But like you said, when everybody has six programming slots to work on, and those six programming slots can be a, a myriad of things, it's just this really intricate puzzle that's going to take you a little while to work through. It's a turn-based puzzle game. Right. I agree. And but and the beautiful board just makes it that much more enjoyable. So, And you said, I mean, how many times did you play Mission 1 with Adam? Actually, we finished it first time. First time? Okay. Yep. What was his thoughts? I, I know Travis's. Uh, he really enjoyed it too. Uh, he, he was the same way. So, you know, he's, he's in college now, so he likes the logical thinky type games. He's in the science career. So yeah, he, he was really into it also. Of course, he was also blown away by the box. I gave it to him and said, here, you experience this. And it's one of those things. He just kept going. It's like, okay, well, there's a tray of minis. Oh, okay. Well, there's another tray. Oh, look, there's yet another tray. Oh, look, there's stuff underneath here. What's in this box with the axe sticking out of it? And we just shrugged. I don't know. We don't know yet. <laughs> Come home this summer and maybe we'll find out. <laughs> no, I'll be playing it before then. And then we brought this up with the guys. The only thing I think people may have a lot of uh, problems with is the replayability. Because once you've opened up the envelope and seen what the new mission is, you may feel like, oh, I don't know if I want to do it again because I've already done it. Well, I don't think it's one of those things that you're going to play 10 games and be done with the game. These are going to be tough missions and you'll probably have to play them multiple times in order to finish them but then remember he did drop that uh, little hint at the end saying well when we talked about replayability he said there's something in at the end of mission 10 so there might be something there for us i can't wait to see what it is i agree with you and i also think that the player base if you do get twenty thousand copies sold riot games i mean my gosh they've got the forums they've got the things and board game geek you will have the people who will get sit down and design their own missions. I mean, you know, these people are going to fly through this game probably because they, they've got to do it, but yet they will start doing their own scenarios. The game, they give you enough components where it will lend itself to developing scenarios, battle mechs. The whole thing is right there, and it'll come out. The player community will be behind this. Oh, definitely. And they, even though they didn't say this, we know that if this is very successful, there's no reason why Riot Games just couldn't uh, provide some PDFs with some brand new missions for you to use. I know for a fact, after playing Mission 1 with you, that I'm like, okay, this is going to take a while. This is going to be pandemic legacy long for me, where I will be playing this, you know, month after month after month. Yes. Interjecting games. And that's how this game, in my opinion, should be played. It's not a sit down. Let's see if we can make it through. All games need to be enjoyed and have fun with. But the nice thing is, unlike Pandemic Legacy, when you're done with it, that's pretty much it. The game is no longer in a shape to be played anymore. Not so with this game at all. Oh, yeah, I completely agree with you. All right, so enough about this, because we could make the show go for another hour if we wanted to, even though we will get a full review at a later time. I do want to say one thing. Congratulations, 
Geek of the Week at Board Game Geek. You are the man. <laughs> yes, I was a Geek of the Week uh, recently, and it was thanks to uh, Pete Shirey who nominated me. So that was really nice of him to reach out and do that. And I didn't realize the responsibilities that the Geek of the Week had. I've been answering so many questions, and I appreciate it. There's a lot of great questions that came in, but boy, there are some off-the-wall questions. Yeah, I saw some of those, and I like the uh, gentleman who said, hey, it's enough of this softball questions. Let's get you some hard ones. I really like that. I liked your answers, of course. Uh, that's a trick question. They're too smart to get in a trap. That was, that was pretty well, good. Well, why don't like you that. tell what the question was, because people may not know what it was. No, they need to go to Board Game Geek and join our Oh, Lord, here it is. The question was, because I don't want to make people <laughs> jump through hoops, the question was, if you have Stefan Feld and Eric Lang and both were in an elaborate death trap and you only had time to save one, who would it be? And I said, well, those two guys, those, both of those guys are way too smart to get caught in some sort of elaborate death trap. So this is a trick question. Yeah. I mean, you've got to do that. Now you've got to figure out who to nominate. And if you read, you got to go read the rules on who you can nominate. I mean, most people don't follow them, but that's okay. You go out there and, <laughs> and figure out who you're going to go for, whose life that can be as challenged as yours at answering some of these questions. That, that was a really cool honor. That was really nice. I, I appreciate that and uh, appreciate the community coming out and supporting me in that and, and asking all those questions. That, that was really a lot of fun. Now, I got another thing for you. Are you if you make it to BGG Con, or will you see Rodney? Yes, we are actually supposed to room together. Okay. I have got something you need to take. We received from Gigamech a new game. And do you remember playing Jungle Speed? Uh, yes. Yes, at Origins. At Origins? Yeah. We had a blast with that. Or we received from them a box, and I can't wait to play this with you, a game that has... What is that? <laughs> it's like Jungle Speed, but it's a squeaky toy. And it's along the same principles. So I cannot wait to get this on the table and see how this plays. But when I put, you know how you open something up and you see something, you're like, oh, almost like mechs versus minion. I get this little toy in it. I'm like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. Well, what's the game called? It's called Caribou Camp. And it's, I, I haven't read the rules. Like I said, we ju I just got it right before we recorded the outro tonight. And I was just opening it up to see what it was all about. And Gigamac Games is trying to make their presence known here in the United States. And they reached out to us. And I'm really excited about this. So I cannot wait to get this on the table and see how it plays. So if it's as good as a jungle, is it jungle speed? Jungle speed. Yeah. Yeah. Then the, now it's going to be a lot of fun. That was a, that was a crazy fun game. That was good. Oh yeah. I enjoyed that game a lot. And I didn't think I would because I, well, you and I, we don't have dexterity. So anyway. Hey, whoa, whoa. Look, I I gotta I need to squash that myth right now about this lack of dexterity thing. Okay, you go ahead and squash it. You do your best on that. I'll well, it's kind of hard doing a podcast. What I'm going to do is you know, a juggle something, twirl a pen. What? Well, I can't show anything I have dexterity with on a podcast. Anything else before we get out of here? Because we've kept people long enough. Uh, yes, we have. So again, uh, a big thank you to Riot Games for letting us be a part of this announcement. It was an honor uh, for them to reach out to us. This is very exciting. Uh, again, this uh, you'll want to keep your eyes on mechsversusminions.com to find out information when this will be released. If you have interest, like Tony said, I think this is going to be a hot game because remember, this is not just something that board gamers may like. This may be something that League of Legends players may like. And Tony, I just read in an article that the number of League of Legends players is 100 million players. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Now, granted, not all of them are going to buy a board game, but 
a lot of them will dip their toe into this board game hobby because of who makes this game. So now when I say that, and then I think there's only 30,000 copies. Yeah, you're right. This is going to go pretty quick. Yeah. And a price point, guys. Look at all the pictures. $75. Give me a break. And let me, and we said that uh, Rodney is doing a, a how to play video. Jamie from Secret Cabal is actually releasing a video too. He's kind of uh, putting his little toe into uh, YouTube. So he's producing a video kind of showing the, the game and everything and how it works. So go check out his video too. Uh, between the two of them, they're going to have some great pictures of, of what's going on and what that game looks like. And, and you'll see it in all of its glory. And if I get off my lazy hind end, you'll see a box opening as well but we'll just see how well oh uh, uh, do you uh, realize you just hung a carrot out there in front of people and now if you don't do it you're going to look like a tootie it is what somebody from different str- no from what was this show <laughs> facts of life trudy Trudy, I'm sorry. It was like, what am I going to say here? Well, I can't say anything too bad. And I was going to say like a turd. And I went, well, maybe not. Like, so it, it came out tooty. And I thought you said, hey, anyway, so yeah, I know. I'll try to do that. I'll get to it. As long as you promise that I don't have to do a whole lot of editing. I'll be good with it. Uh, you edit this thing yourself. I'm too busy trying to do things for throat punch lunch. And that's killing me. You made the commitment, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's my fault. I signed up for that. If this is your first time listening to us, thank you for hanging around. We really do appreciate it. And if you would, why don't you do me a favor and go over to Roll Dice Take Names. You can see our blog there. You can follow us on Twitter, Dice and Names. Okay, it's supposed to be at Dyson Names. Marty keeps reminding me. Instagram, Dyson Names. What else, Marty? Oh, we've also got our BGG Guild, 1589. You can send us emails if you've got any comments or suggestions to roll dice take names at gmail.com. And also, we have a nice little group on Facebook, too. So if you want to, you can check it out there. A Facebook group, Rolling Dice Taking Names. And then, of course, we're also dabbling our little toes in Snapchat. That's RDTN underscore podcast. <laughs> if you want to sit, follow us, I sometimes we'll post something on Snapchat. Who knows? You know, hey, and of course, our YouTube channel, you can subscribe there. And one other thing, if you're interested, we've got merchandise as well over there at Analog Gamer. Take a look. We got our great squirrel shirt, one of our best selling items, a squirrel, because that's what we are. We tend to squirrel to other moments. Yeah, analoggamers.com if you want to check out the t-shirts, the squirrel t-shirt plus our logo t-shirt. And thank you so much for Brandon for putting those together. Do me a favor, keep rolling dice and taking names. The Broken Token is excited to announce two brand new products. First, in the Craftsman line, the Gloom Tomb. An organizer that holds gloom plus all of its inserts with a really cool clear acrylic top. And for all you hobbyists out there, modular paint racks that hold both paint and brushes in two different styles. One for drop style bottles and one for pot style jars. Check out these and other great inserts at thebrokentoken.com. I wish this game had arrived when we did our 100th episode because you could have used over Jamie. (laughs) Essen is almost upon us and Fun Again has an excellent service called their Essen Air Service where you can go out to their website and look at all the great games that are going to be released at Essen, pre-order those games while they are over there at Essen They will get those games and bring them back to you to ship once they get back to their warehouse. Or if you're going to be at BGGCon and you pre-order a game, they'll bring it to you and hand deliver it at BGGCon. Tony, you can't beat that service.
service. No, you can't, especially if, for instance, you missed the Kickstarter for Fields of Green, the new Artipia game. Everybody's talking about that or Portal of Morth or the one that's really caught my eye just because I love its big brother, X Nymp. I love Six Nymp. I can't wait to try out X Nymp. All those games go to the Fun Again website and you can put in a pre-order for them. Also, they're starting to do weekly update videos where they show you some games that they're getting in and just give you some latest game release news and you can find that on their YouTube channel and you can find this plus the s and Air service at funagain.com. 